Hi everyone, welcome back to the 10th episode of The Backbench. Uh, this is the politics and current affairs section of BenchPod and today I'm joined by my girlfriend Ruby. Hi, thank you for having me Sam. Um, today we're going to talk about um, a lot about British news. It's been some big things happening in British politics and also in the main segment of the episode we're going to talk about the problem with billionaires and income inequality so we've got a lot to talk about today um we're going to start with uh one of the main headlines which has just come in this morning uh so this morning extinction rebellion protesters blocked access to two printing works in hertfordshire and merseyside uh production of the sun the mail the telegraph and the times were all disrupted um extinction rebellion says it's a protest against and this is a quote their failure to report on the climate and ecological emergency and their consistent manipulation of the truth to uh, to suit their own agendas um the home secretary pretty patel was livid on twitter and called it an attack on our free press society and democracy so it's uh, a lot to digest there but what do you what do you take away from that um well, I that's I don't know. I haven't I haven't heard much about Extinction Rebellion for a while mm. in a couple of months. Um and I think that's one good way to get noticed. <laughs> yeah. There was so, um, the reason a lot of people were criticizing it was saying that it's um censorship and as Pretty Patel said, an attack on free press. Um, mm-hmm. So there's two. There's I think there's two main things that I take issue with there. Um, one is that the we don't really have a free press in the UK because eighty um, percent of the UK media is controlled by five billionaires. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that's wrong with their statement. Free the press has never been free in the UK. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is that you. You need uh, a lot of people who are against these kind of protests love telling protesters what they should be doing instead, like go and po- protest peacefully, go and have a go and stand outside of a sign or march or something. And Extinction yeah. Rebellion protesters have done this before, um, mm-hmm. to no real effect. And that's yeah. so. It's time has come for protest. When the climate climate change is is an emergency at this point, it's a crisis. So. Exactly something needs something disruptive needs to be done something to get people talking about it and something that actually affects those who can make a difference so and then their main issue was with um these newspapers not reporting on the crisis as they should basically not treating it as a crisis Mm -hmm. so they've definitely um done what they've done for a reason it ties to the newspapers and you're right about what you said about the free press i mean the Daily Mail print a very opinionated <laughs> version yeah. of um, the news, I feel. And yeah, you can peddle the um, peaceful protest idea all you want, but unless things actually start to, to happen as a result of that, which they haven't, and the climate crisis is not getting any better, um, then a different action needs to be taken, I think. so. Exactly. And it's... <laughs> It's, it's something that need needs to happen like they do actually if if we want to make a change in um in this climate crisis there's only so much individual people can do um mm-hmm. while yeah. while everyone can do their part a lot of the blame lies with big corporations for not a not treating it as seriously as they should and b mm. like contributing to Mass of things like massive CO two emissions or pollution or, or mm. deforestation and things like that. So yeah, this is this is um where a stand needs to be taken, and I can see why people are upset by it. But in, yeah, but um, I think the 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 thing you should be most upset by is the like <laughs> the is climate killing change. our planet. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah these these corporations um if they don't do anything in order to help um, slow down climate pro- the climate crisis, then it will just be too late. And I think that's what Extinction Rebellion is trying to get across. Yeah. Um, and it shouldn't have to fall on their heads anyway. Um, and 
risk getting arrested, that kind of thing. It mm -hmm. should be something that um, governments and corporations are taking into account. I also should have, uh, should have mentioned that over 70 arrests have been made um, so far, yeah. which is, mm -hmm. I think, crazy. Um, but yeah, it's, that's all happened this morning, a bit of a chaotic morning. As I said, Pretty Patel was on Twitter calling it Attack on Free Press. Uh, so so was Nigel Farage. So you can see the types of people that have a problem with it. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll go on to the, to the next headline. And we're only going to uh, briefly discuss this here because we'll address it more in the next segment. But the ex-Australian Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, has been appointed as a trade advisor to the UK government. Um, as I said, we'll mention, we'll mention him just a little bit later. But he's been in the news all week. And mainly because it's so controversial that he's been appointed because he's made very uh, misogynistic and homophobic comments in the past. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll leave that. We'll leave that for the next segment. But um, uh, Portugal has been added to the fourteen-day quarantine list for Scotland and Wales, but not for England and Northern Ireland. This is um, the latest division between a supposedly United Kingdom. Um, mm. it, it's been a theme of the whole pandemic that the nations in the UK are, are taking different approaches, which is. Um, fair enough because each uh, each region has their own regional government mm -hmm. um, but this this is a really interesting one because this is something that you'd believe all countries would be united on why why don't you have to quarantine if you're coming back to England where there is thousand literally a thousand more cases a day than you'd see in in Wales. Mm -hmm. But like yeah. when you get to Wales, you do have to quarantine. It just doesn't really make sense. It's not like they're like <laughs> you're bringing back a different level of COVID from Portugal. Like they're <laughs> all coming back from the same place. It just doesn't make sense. Exactly, and they're coming back to a very very similar area. So mm -hmm. there's really no explanation as to why um, England has not has not followed followed that path. I think it just doesn't make any sense. I mean. It's not a safe thing to do to yeah. go to a different country and come back and then mingle. <laughs> it's it's not a safe thing to do, but if you do, if you do, and you're coming back from um, an area with high amount of um, COVID cases, you should be self isolating for fourteen days. Um, or yeah. I think the advice now is um, eleven, no, ten days, and if you're not showing any symptoms on the eleventh day, you can go back to work. I think that's the official government advice now. Um, okay. But you wouldn't know it because it's not clear enough. No, uh, I had no clue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's just, I feel like it is, it's, it's perfectly reasonable and understandable for all, um, all four nations to take their own approach to it because they've got their own devolved governments, each of them. But, but why? Why can he not be united on this thing? I know the conservative, the central conservative government in the, in the UK government are prioritising the holiday sector and holidays to Portugal, obviously a massive source of income to the British economy. But yeah. this, the um, the amount of cases there and the amount that's rising should supersede that, and each nation, I believe, should work in harmony on this issue in particular because there's no exactly. point there's no point in just <laughs> it when you, uh, it's just it just it just doesn't make sense um no but yeah and it's not it's not political it's not it's not to do with a difference in opinion mm. it's a it's a deadly virus it doesn't you know it's not going to affect anyone differently based on their particular local government you know like it's just yeah i think everyone should just follow the same sort of path if they're in a particular area mm. um especially if one of those countries has a lot more cases than the other yeah um i think we will round off the news segment by talking about um just looking at some of the individuals within british politics we'll take a look at pmqs now i don't usually spend a lot of time on looking at just prime minister's questions but um boris johnson's performance was so particularly poor this week that I felt like it needed to be addressed. Um, so 
Uh, Boris refused to answer questions about when he knew there was a problem with the exam results algorithm. He was asked um, asked that by Circus Dharma twice. Um, Starm, uh, he also claimed that um, Starmer had supported and condoned the actions of the IRA in the past. Uh, Starmer was obviously rightfully infuriated and asked him to withdraw the remark. Um, the Speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, asked him to do so as well, and he, the Prime Minister didn't. Um, but yeah, as I said, it was a very poor performance overall with, with those things considered. And um, he kept trying to peddle the, the captain captain hindsight line which he keeps calling uh Keir Starmer um that just didn't really didn't really work out for him and he was just destroyed by Starmer Prime Minister's questions again yeah. um but yeah so if we look at the exam results thing to start with um mm-hmm. Gavin it's been it's been revealed that Gavin Williamson knew that Gavin Williamson the education secretary I should mention knew about this issue before uh, before A level results day and yeah. which means that the prime minister should know about it. So this is what Kirsten brought up. Either the prime minister knew about it and refused to mention it and change anything that there was a problem with the algorithm, um, mm-hmm. or that he didn't. He wasn't informed, which is a failure of his government by not informing the prime minister on one of the biggest issues affecting the country. So yes. um, that's why Starmer was annoyed and. Beyond this, I can't see, I already mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I can't see Gavin Williamson keeping his job. No, that sounds, that doesn't sound like he would. Um, I mean, either way. <laughs> yeah, I, because it's such a massive failure of the education secretary. Like, yeah. he is the education secretary, and he's messed up so massively. Admit Like, even his, his own shortcomings have been revealed, even he's admitted to some. Um, mm. I just don't see how they can how they can keep him keep him on i I think maybe because boris doesn't want to be seen doing another u-turn um because he's he's already but he already he publicly backed gavin williamson before the before the u-turn on the on the results Um, yeah so now he now he doesn't want to turn around and be like oh actually you're fired because he can't really afford to be seen as be seen as well, be seen A, doing another U-turn and B, kind of stabbing a member of his own cabinet in the back. But Gavin Williamson, Gavin Williamson has done such a poor job that I don't see how he could look good not firing him. Yeah. I mean, it was such a massive outrage, rightfully so, mm. um, by A-level students, especially who have been stuck in such a terrible situation. This affects their futures. Yeah. Um, and it only really got U-turned after a massive protest. So backlash so um i think he should be fired yeah i think i think i don't know i feel like in any other government the education secretary would have resigned by now and left of his own accord (laughs) but um this isn't any normal government um so yeah it was just i can't believe he's still in a job i've also mentioned on the previous podcast i think that when the dust starts to settle and people start scrutinizing this government a bit more um the the uh Boris and his government are going to need to offer up someone as like a sacrificial lamb to be like, oh yeah, we are taking responsibility for our mistakes. We are being held to account. Look at us. Um, so I feel like mm. Gavin Williamson is going to be that sacrificial lamb in a, mm. few, a few months' time to as a kind of performative gesture sh- to show that they're taking responsibility by yeah. saying like, you did this wrong, you have to go. Um, I feel like it would either be him or Matt Hancock but I feel like Matt Hancock's a bit too mm-hmm. prominent uh, at the moment for that to for that to yeah. happen. But at the same time, maybe that's what they need. Maybe they do need a prominent figure to um, offer up to gain some favourability back with the public. Yeah. They're not really trying to rectify it. They're just trying to yeah, make themselves look exactly. like they are taking the responsibility they were they were never really prepared to take. Yeah. And and that's that's politics that um you that's always going to be the case it's all about public image and perception and yeah I, because i've thought so many things that have happened during this pandemic for the uh, for the conservative party would just be political suicide um but they've been lucky to maintain the level of support that they have 
Um, they've they've lost yeah. a lot of they've lost a lot of level of support. Um, in April, they had a net favorable rain. Like mm-hmm. more, in in opinion polls, more people had a favorable opinion of them than an unfavorable opinion. But that has dropped massively since then with the mm-hmm. uh, Dominic Cummings scandal, uh, oh. A level results, the pandemic as a whole. It's just all of those yeah. have a lot has happened since it. April. Yeah. Yeah, and none of them have been particularly good reflection of, reflections of the Tory government. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. After after the dust has settled a bit, and we look back on their performance, it will be a lot more chastising, and they might have to um, try and come up with a way to look better. Mm-hmm. And it might be um, going back to Keir Starmer. I usually um, spend about ten minutes slating him on this podcast <laughs> weekly, but so but I'll give him I'll give him a week off because he hasn't done that much to annoy me this week, and he had a really good showing at PMQs. He still has refused to condemn his own MP Rosie Duffield for her transphobic comments, so I will mention that until he does. Mm. But um, yeah, he was so annoyed at PMQs because uh, as director of public prosecutions before he became an MP, he. Um, he helped to prosecute um, IRA terrorists. So when mm. uh, the Prime Minister insinuated that he'd condoned and supported the actions of the IRA, he was incensed, and I probably would be too if I was him. Um, mm. But yeah, so he kept, uh, Boris Johnson kept calling Starmer Captain Hindsight. Um, the, the members of the public who dislike Starmer call him Captain Forensic because of his forensic approach to questioning the prime minister, which is, I, I don't know what they think they're gaining from that. It's not really like you're slating no. him. You're just showing that he's doing a, doing it in a well, certain way, well calculated, measured approach. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, it's, I know I talk about Starmer every week, but like, it's, it's refreshing to see that kind of approach in PMQs. Cause even I've, I've, I've said this lots of times, but, um, even in Corbyn, you could tell he was in it to make it make a change, and he was in it, he was in his job for the right reasons, and he had a lot of good policies. Um, mm. Him as as Labour leader standing toes to of Prime Minister, he there just wasn't really at Prime Minister. He wasn't good at Prime Minister's questions because he was so impassioned and not measured enough. Like he couldn't he couldn't um, debate the Prime Minister in a way that the leader of the opposition should. Um, yeah. Keir Starmer, he always turns up with the receipts. He always, he always, um, he knows what he's talking about. He asks questions based on the prime minister's answers. Yeah. Um, so, and that's the difference between them. I do, I mm. just do think Starmer's got a lot of work to do as Labour leader to convince a lot of Labour voters as well yeah. as bringing over. He's still got a lot of work to do in bringing over um, centrist voters and in particular um northern tory voters yes yeah but um yeah i think this this week was a little little bit of a better one for him yeah it sounds like it was i mean um johnson's comments he just he i think he has a right to be infuriated by them and mm-hmm. it's shocking that he didn't he didn't um retract his statement twice after being asked yeah um but then is it really that shocking i don't know um, yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that the Speaker didn't... I know the Speaker can't really kick out the Prime Minister during Prime Minister's questions, but usually if an MP mm. refuses to withdraw a remark, when it's ordered by the Speaker, they are, they're kicked out of the House of Commons. And I, that wasn't... Boris wasn't actually instructed to re- withdraw the remark by the Speaker because he was asked by Starmer to withdraw the remark. Um, yes. And he declined. And then... Yeah. The speaker said, I'm sure you would like to, basically, something along those lines, advising him to do it. And he still yeah. declined. So, yeah, I was surprised to see the speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, not take more of a stance towards yes. that. But uh, what can you do? What can you do? For the next segment of the episode, uh, we're going to be doing one of the new segments that I introduced on the BenchPod Twitter account. If you're not following it already, go and follow it at BenchPod with Sam on Twitter. Um, it's called Quote of the Week, and it's just basically when we take uh, the biggest quote, or the most memorable one, one of the most controversial one from that w- this week in politics, and break down and discuss it. So, uh, 
This week, it's from the UK Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, and the quote is, he's also an expert in trade. Um, so, that was in reference to... Um, that was Matt Hancock going on Kay Burley's show on Sky News, and Kay Burley was discussing Tony Abbott's previous misogynistic and homophobic comments, um, which Matt Hancock initially attempted to deny, and then Kay Burley interrupted him saying, face the facts, basically saying face the facts, he's a misogynist, he's a sexist and a homophobe, to which Matt Hancock replied, he's also an expert in trade. So... From one sentence, there's a lot to break down and analyse there. Um, mm. From At first glance, it seems like the health secretary is condoning sexism and homophobia if you're also, if you're an expert in trade, it's You have another thing going for like, you. <laughs> <laughs> like he's saying, basically saying that those two things cancel, well, you cancel, they cancel each other out. Like, if, yeah. you, if you're an expert in trade, if you can be... Uh, an advisor to the UK government on that then it's fine if you're home then it's fine like you can be homophobic if you want yeah you can get away with it yeah. that's basically the yeah. message that he's sending um what do, what do you think because I think it's just uh, embarrassing and I'll, I'll get onto it in, in a second but yeah you, you go on of course um well you can you can see in the video he doesn't know what to say in mm. response to to Kay Burley um and he fumbles around trying to think of a way to get out of it, uh, get out of it. So he goes with the classic. I don't think that's true. And when she brings up the receipts, <laughs> um, he then turns to a sort of nonsensical reply, um, which doesn't doesn't argue that that um, that Tony Abbott is any better of a person at all. He's just good at one thing. He's still mm. a homophobe mm-hmm. and a misogynist. Um, but I guess that's um, his way of kind of justifying his involvement um which i think speaks a lot about mm. tory party and himself uh, but it is hugely embarrassing because um you can sort of see it on his face when he says it that it makes no sense yeah I, th- I think when you said that you um you can see that he doesn't know what to say i think he probably regrets it and yeah if he, he wouldn't say if he had a second chance it's it's the word also <laughs> that that is damning mm. um He's, because that's him openly admitting to knowing and accepting that that Tony Abbott's a, a misogynist and homophobe, and he goes, yeah. but, "Yes, I know," but he's an but he's an expert in trade, trying to defend yeah. him. I don't know what went through his head to think that was an adequate defence. Um, no, yes, yeah, that's quite embarrassing. I don't think much went through his head. To be <laughs> I can imagine he was rapidly scrambling for for the. Um, right words to say in something that pro- trying to defend something that probably wasn't his dis- his decision um yeah and but that doesn't matter he's the person the government have sent out there to answer these questions on that day he's mm-hmm. going to be the one that's asked so i'm sure he probably regrets it but it's not something that you can defend at all because he is a homophobe and a misogynist and oh, which we'll, we'll talk about now something it's just going to bore my blood talking about it. Uh, his views on climate change. Um, mm. When he was Prime Minister, I think he expressed, uh, cons- well, scepticism about it. Um, he's 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 doesn't go quite as far as being a climate change denier, but he's claimed that the world is now in the grips of a climate cult, basically. Uh, yeah. referring to the likes of Extinction Rebellion and stuff and also and this, this is and this is from a while ago but this could have been quote of the week if we wanted it to because it's relevant um, mm. he said that climate change was probably doing more harm than good you you mean more good than harm? sorry that is what I meant to say he said yeah. that climate change is doing <laughs> more good than harm uh, if he said it was doing more harm than good he would have he would have massively yeah he would have massively <laughs> changed his views but um, yeah yeah, he claimed that uh, climate change was doing more good than harm. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was also spoken at the uh, Global Warming Policy Foundation, which is a climate sceptic lobby group. So those are the type of people he's associating himself with. Um, yeah. Well, that's that's clearly just rubbish. I mean, I just... It's kind of hard to fathom 
groups like Extinction Rebellion aren't doing this for fun. It's in their name. We are going to go extinct. And um, yeah, it's just so shocking to hear that from uh, a political leader, um, someone in power, uh, someone with a sense of control. Um, because, you know, I'm 19 years old and I worry about having children because of how bad the climate emergency is. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's just really sort of heartbreaking to hear. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's, so, all things considered, uh, the man probably isn't a, an appropriate selection for a trade advisor to the British government. No. But the Conservatives have gone and done it anyway. And going back to the quote, it's just, I'm just, I'm going to repeat it because it's just, it really, it's really baffling that um, the health secretary attempted to defend, well, actually, no, attempted to justify <laughs> uh, blatant sexism and homophobia mm -hmm. by claiming that Tony Abbott was an expert <laughs> in trade. And I still can't believe it, to be honest. No. Um. I, I thought, and again, uh, I mentioned the idea of Boris not wanting to be seen doing another U-turn earlier. I think that could be the case here. There was a lot of backlash um, over the appointment of Tony Abbott and um, backlash towards Matt Hancock's comments. Yeah. But Boris doesn't want to be seen doing another U-turn. Um, whether that's true in this situation is not or not, like this i think like personally i feel, personally i feel like this is something that he could get away with um it's not a big massive pandemic related issue or a level results related issue or um brexit related issue or yeah. an economy related issue this is it's just yeah go on i was just going to say it's it's something separate to that i'm just yeah yeah it's it's rel it's, it's relatively irrelevant in the grand scheme of things and here he was like yeah. actually no we're not going to do that it's a bad decision he'd probably get away with it yeah but makes a lot of sense yeah but now that he doesn't want to be seen doing any more u-turns because it's become the whole identity of this government yeah he, he can't he can't afford to be seen going back on himself for what would now what would be the I think Starmer listed them the 13th this would be the that would be the 13th time the government have done 12 official U-turns since the pandemic begun um wow which is insane yeah for any government let alone in the space of like six months basically yeah um this is a U-turn that probably needs to happen so like, yeah you're right what you're saying about his government image um yeah that's what they've that's what they've kind of become known for. Exactly. Rightfully so. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 not like it's an unfair reputation. They're no. they're doing themselves harm. Um yeah. they're they're the ones putting themselves, backing themselves into a corner, often knowing that they're gonna get public backlash. Because they, they must have known. Like Yeah. Like Tony Abbott's comments and views aren't exactly a secret. They're they are public knowledge. Yeah, and so, a scenario like that, and one like the A level results, when they knew what they were getting into in both of these situations mm. going into them, and they probably knew mm. what the public reception to it was going to be, they're willingly backing themselves into a corner and having to yeah. do a U turn to get out of it. It's, yeah, it's... I think. Yeah, I think with Tony Abbott, they they knew they just didn't care, yeah. and they hoped that it wouldn't be brought up. And it was just a surprise um, that it was on television. Um, and that's why they couldn't justify it. Um, because you can't. Yeah, so they were just hoping it wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think hoping it wouldn't be there is just a mistake. Because I, I can understand people being more distracted by everything that's going on. I mean, there's a pandemic going on. Uh, looks like we're going to have a no-deal Brexit on the 31st of December. Um Mm. people are still dying in every day all around the world tragically yeah. um uk's in recession they probably thought oh this is this isn't a big deal that we could probably we could probably like let this go under the radar but appointing someone with this kind of public profile he's a former australian yeah. prime minister like the most senior level of politician that you can get yeah um he's still massively prominent in uh in the public Mm -hmm. and 
that it's not really something that you can get away with because he's it's not controversial. He hasn't made controversial comments. He's made discriminatory comments yeah. and um, about climate change, misinformed comments. Deeply uh, misinformed. Yeah. Yeah. So I just it's just uh, I, I really can't believe they they gave the job to him. Obviously, a massively no. high paying job uh, yeah. as a senior advisor. Anyone in power should know better. Yeah, that's okay. There we go. That's the main thing. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, whether you're you're you hate them or you love them, the Conservative Party are in government mm-hmm. and they are politicians. I feel with the amount of U turns that they've made, they should know better than some yeah. to make some of the decisions that they have. They are poli- they are politicians. They are in that job because the, well, they've got that far, presumably. But this isn't this isn't obviously isn't always the case they've got that far presumably because they are viewed by their party as being good politicians they are good at operating in the world of politics which means that they are good at garnering a positive public image of themselves and the party it depends where you rank in that um good at making Mm -hmm. the right decisions when they need to be made good at working under pressure that hasn't shown to be the case and when it's something here that can be the difference between like this is small, a small thing. This isn't going to change anything whether they appoint Tony Abbott or not. I don't think Tony Abbott's going to come in and suddenly, like, <laughs> going to change everything in regards to British trade with other countries. No. This is something that they could see, weigh up the pros and cons, and see that the cons far outweigh the pros of this. Yeah. Um, but they still went ahead with it anyway, which is yeah terrible. From a and in terms of comparing it to the pandemic, to the Brexit, um, to the Brexit, to Brexit, um, I don't think they would have had to do this under an, an enormous amount of pressure. So they could have thought it through logically. Yeah, this isn't, um, it wasn't a pressing issue that needed to, no. that a snap decision needed to be made on. Um, they, <laughs> they just decided to do it and be like, oh yeah, it's fine. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. And it didn't go well, but they've pressed ahead of it anyway. And They just didn't want to be held accountable. It's, it's a shambles, but what else is new? For the main segment episode, we're going to be doing For the People in the Back, and that is the segment where the guest comes on and basically rants about a topic that needs to be heard, something that they want everyone <laughs> to hear and understand. And today, um, we're going to be discussing the issue of billionaires and wealth disparity. And I know from personal experience that Ruby's got a lot to say on it, so just go for it <laughs> okay well um you don't know you don't, it's, it's quite difficult to find somewhere to start here like it a... is yeah you gotta um it's it's a lot to take in yeah um even though there aren't that many billionaires in the world but mm. there are more than there should be um yeah it's of it's my opinion that uh billionaires should not exist if you ever reach the point in your life where you have a billion dollars or pounds you have failed somewhere. Um, yeah. morally, morally. Morally, you failed somewhere. Obviously not in terms of success. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. And so this, I saw this sort of uh, floating around social media a while ago, which inspired me to um, kind of want to talk about it more. Um, I saw one post that explained like how hard it is for us to compute a billion. Um, so one million seconds is 11 days. One billion seconds is thirty-two years. Wow! Like they're they're not similar. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. And it's mad to think that any one of us is closer to being a millionaire than Jeff Bezos is. He's very far past that. Um, That's actually insane. Yeah. That makes me feel sick. I know. Um, so yeah, um, I saw on Instagram under "We Are the Peace." Actually, um, other piece. A post explaining why um, the five richest men in the world could solve pretty much all the world's problems with their collective work wealth, but uh, this could be done by Bezos alone mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, and just last, like last week or two weeks ago, he was the first person to pass the two hundred billion dollar net worth threshold. Um, so that's a lot of money. Um, and yeah, it's just, it shocks me that every day he doesn't wake up and think, I could solve the food crisis, the water crisis, um, I could educate all the children in the world, end homelessness, um, solve famine in Yemen, 
and still have money left over. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's this is all an estimate of um, how issues could be solved, but under capitalism, they can mostly be solved through money. Yeah. Um, mostly all of them can be solved through money, and he has the ability to do that and doesn't. Um, it's also yeah, so that seems very shockingly morally corrupt to me. Um, he's also a deeply corrupt individual in terms of how he exploits his workers. Yeah. Um, because that's how he's made all his pennies. Um, yeah, so in China, Amazon employees are paid £1.69 per hour. Um, in the UK and US, they are forced to take extra shifts without breaks. Uh, warehouses are without health and safety checks, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and it's just, I don't know, it's just, he's a very good example because he is the richest man in the world and he um, does all this stuff wrong, but um, in my opinion, but you can kind of see it everywhere. Yeah. So um, a real estate company called WeWork um, went under a couple of years ago, um, the CEO walked away with $1.7 billion, um, but his employees were left unemployed. Um, and the documentary Fire Festival on Netflix, um, obviously based on Fire Festival, um, Billy McFarland um, uh, is serving jail time, but I highly doubt that his first move after his release will be to pay back the workers. Yeah. Native yeah. farmers lost their money. <laughs> um, yeah, so that just strikes me as, again, very deeply wrong mm-hmm. and not something that's really... I think it's something that's kind of accepted. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just think... So, you're right about people not un- understanding, like, how much a billion actually is. Like, to hear you say those mm-hmm. statistics is, like, mind-blowing to actually realise how much it is. Um, yeah. I, I, th- I agree. Like, there should be really no reason for billionaires to exist um Mm -hmm. there's no no reason for anyone to have that much money um this this was an idea uh put forward by corbyn in 2019 towards the election um uh, which obviously people immediately shot down as being too revolutionary and communist but um Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's just everything you said is completely true um so we obviously on on this podcast on this on bench pod this illustrious mm-hmm. podcast we're all about balance. So people like to come back with arguments about why billionaires shouldn't exist, and they're they're all intrinsically flawed. But like so so we'll go through some of them, which is like um, I know you've been looking at them as well. Um, so one of them is that they yes. provide or they provide jobs, they add to the economy. Their corporations provide work yes. for a lot of people. Um, that statement, the words itself are true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you talk about when you what you've just heard from Ruby, the working conditions that I worked in, the hours, uh, the hours that they're forced to work, the rate at which mm-hmm. they're paid. That even though jobs are being provided, people are being exploited, which again was one of your main points, exploited in order to increase the person at the top's wealth yeah yeah there's um there are a lot of arguments that um if you redistributed wealth which a lot of people call for and i agree with um people would stop being employed um by the companies who are owned by these rich people who built them um you know think of how many people are employed under apple that kind of thing um but yeah, it's, it's still, to me, it does not justify or really correlate to, well, it does correlate to, but it cor- correlates negatively to how much money these CEOs have themselves. Um, one argument I read on um, an economy website um, is that um, the business's net worth or annual earnings or, yeah, that kind of thing, um, trickles down to the employees. And so the CEOs, the top people, don't just have this money somewhere mm-hmm. um but for me this makes sense it um because a business's worth is estimated based on the amount of people working for them so it's not like bezos personal wealth in any way touches the lives of his employees yeah. it in fact goes the other way um that's why he has so much um but yeah there are a lot of arguments to do with like assets 
um, and value of that, which I don't really understand because I'm not an economist. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, Amazon shares are what Bezos owns and they are valued differently by different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not in a strict sense like real. So he can't just like take his shares from the bank and spend them on something. Um, but still he has them and um, the billionaires are kept billionaires by um, keeping their shares illiquid. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're never, they never touch base. Um, and I don't think that's a good enough reason. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, so when, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but like when, yeah, um, when people say like Jeff, uh, Jeff Bezos, when it's, there's a statement saying, oh, Jeff Bezos is worth um, $200 billion. People mm. who for some reason love to jump to billionaires defenses. I mean, I'm not sure if they need care or know about you, but go for it, sis. Um, <laughs> when, when, and people jump to the defense and be like, but he's not actually got two hundred billion dollars sitting in his bank account. Like he can't yeah. just he can't just do that. You guys know that, right? I'm like, yeah, we we do know that, but mm. that's not an excuse for no. Uh, that's not an excuse for like him not using that's his not, not only his platform yeah. but his vast amounts of resources to actually do good. Yeah, um, the money he actually has, and it's yeah. not like he's. He's doing any good to his yeah. employees either. That's just a weird argument. The um, the idea the idea of like trickle down economics is which which some which is what um, uh, more economically conservative people are inclined to believe is doesn't really work. Like it's um it's something that is put forward uh by people saying like. To, again often to the defense of billionaires saying like trickle down economics works because you cut taxes on the rich um mm. t- cut taxes on corporations it stimulates business investment in the short term and like as a whole it's beneficial for society in the long term it's providing jobs uh boosting yeah. the economy if that was how it worked that'd be great but capitalism is a system that's built off exploitation yeah um and which is and it goes back to the original point where you say billionaires aren't going to get anywhere if they're not exploiting other people yeah it's again that links into uh two arguments the first of which is that um again we'll go back to people jumping to the defense of billionaires and saying oh they're self-made they've made, made their fortune and made them mm-hmm. work their way up that is i'm not sure if I couldn't be proven wrong, I'm fair enough. But I'm not sure if that's the case with any billionaires who are in the definition of self-made. But even if you yeah. are, you cannot get to the level that you're at without directly impacting and harming the lives of others who are yeah. in like a lower social class than you, or like what it would yeah. be considered as. Um, yeah capitalism doesn't allow that to make yeah. that much money you've got to cut corners somewhere and that kind of what you said kind of ties into um remember when carly jenner was labeled the first self-made billionaire mm. um not the first she was a self-made billionaire why did i say the first um and there was a lot of controversy about that because she obviously came from a very um well-known and well-off family the kardashians um and that that's a very um, easy finger to point, but I think it applies to a lot of these top ten, you know, Forbes list makers yeah. who have this much money for a reason um, because they started off from positions of privilege, and you don't see what behind the scenes what they did to make that much money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very rarely moral. Yeah, um, something else that people will say in defence is like, oh look at all these kids trying to say that capitalism should be abolished, but look at them here tweeting off their iPhones. And that's... Mm. I don't don't know what kind of argument those people think they're making, but it's it's not the one that they think they are. Um, Like, using an iPhone doesn't mean that you're in favour of of capitalism, that you're in favour of exploitation and billionaires and big, massive corporations. Um... We've got the the system in place is the one that we have, and if you're like, 
in I'd mentioned this in like a private a private school video, like some people just take advantage of it because they can. Um, yeah. The, the blame doesn't lie with people who um, use the system. It's people who the blame lies with the system itself and the people who operate it and allow it to remain in place. Um, yeah. The issue of like consumerism is something that can be discussed on a whole other podcast. Mm-hmm. But saying that pe- people but who buy like I don't know Coca Cola or go to McDonald's or buy iPhones yeah. and use Apple products. Saying that's like you could you can you don't like these things are not mutually exclusive. You can, you can like you can want you can recognize and acknowledge the massive disadvantages and income income inequality with capitalism, mm-hmm. but also as a consumer buy an Apple. Yeah, product. you 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 kind of have to function as a consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to you have to use things that are consumerist and capitalistic. Um, that's why, you know, it's so hard for people to stop using Amazon as a company, even if they disagree with Jeff Bezos. It's because it's the only of its kind, and exactly. that's what makes it so successful. Maya made a good point. Um, one of your guests a couple of weeks ago. Shout out to Maya. When, <laughs> when you were talking about private schools and how it often goes that there is a shift of blame onto individuals that's what she said mm-hmm. and that can be applied to so many things um capitalistic behaviors you know the climate crisis what we consume what we do and people everyday people are just are just trying to live um because when it comes to wealth distribution the people who are given access to the highest earnings um do so because it's so difficult to dismantle you know, centuries of social hierarchies. Um, and so once again, it, 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 it falls on the, on the doorstep of the, the next to powerless individual yeah. instead of the governments and the business tycoons who have allowed this to happen. Um, yeah. And when, I, and when I talk about Bezos hoarding his wealth, I'm not saying that, like, if he were to pay a fix a massive social crisis that it would be a good thing that it would be a win because it's a human failing that has happened in the first place yeah. um i'm just saying it's a necessity at this point um yeah if uh yeah i i so obviously um as humans we're never in a position to command someone else to like do as we wish like no. jeff bezos doesn't have to use his wealth for good he doesn't have to go and solve world hunger overnight even though he has the ability to do it but Mm -hmm. as we've been saying when you're in the position that you are and you've got there off the backs you've got there off of the backs of people who are less fortunate than you i personally believe like you've been saying as well they have a moral responsibility to Mm -hmm. do what you can within your power to help out socially and economically um yeah i it is a necessity at this point jeff bezos could massively contribute to something let's look at climate change for example if he with his influence yeah. and power that he's got over everything if he if he could um i don't know if it's just an example put like put messages on amazon or only start using like climate friendly products or something or yeah. um, within his own company which yeah. would benefit him and then in terms <laughs> yeah in terms of the the crisis in yemen he could go and solve yeah. that with like a snap of his fingers basically I've, yeah. It doesn't doesn't have to be limited to one um, one area, and also this isn't just targeting Jeff Bezos. As you said, he's just the figurehead because he's he's the easiest target. He's the um, he's the richest man in the world. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't just lie with one one man, one individual. It lies with the system of um, capitalism as a whole that allows this to happen, and yeah. the idea of billionaires who are enablers of. Um, wealth inequality yeah and it's uh, it's it annoys me when people come back with arguments against taxing Mm. rich people more because yeah a lot of people like to say and a stereotypical conservative argument which i've heard thousands of well not thousands but a lot of times is that oh why should why should a person who's who earns who's worked hard to earn this much money 
have to mm-hmm. have to pay for people who sit at home and claim benefits yeah um again i don't know what argument you think you're trying to make but it's, <laughs> it's like it's not it like so, so i don't uh, those kind of people have an idea that a high proportion of the population can just sit at home claim benefits and be fine for the, like live off that it doesn't work like that but when also when you're saying that the person's self-made they probably aren't so that's issue number two of it issue number three is that mm. yeah they may work hard not taking that away from from you from your millionaire friend i'm assuming but um not taking <laughs> not taking that away from them that they work hard but who's yeah. to say that they work harder than uh, a supermarket worker earning seven pounds no. seven pounds yeah. an hour or an or NHS an NHS member who earns yeah. £7.50 and has to spend £7.50 an hour and has to spend £3.50 an hour on parking. Yeah. Who's, like, who's to say, who's to say the, mil- the millionaire works harder than them? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's just, ugh, it just doesn't, those kind of arguments just don't make sense. And I believe when you are in a position to, um, uh, to help other people, you should like in and help at this obviously the, the mm-hmm. term help other people is is vague because like there's yeah. a lot you can do within that term but as mm-hmm. as you said at the very beginning if you're in that position and well, if you're allowed to get to that position of being a billionaire you failed morally and yeah. even if you're not a billionaire even if you have some kind of um disposable income like big large amounts of disposable income mm-hmm. and you're in a position to help i believe you failed morally if you are actively against that yeah it's your wealth and at the end of the day the final decision lays with you yeah but would you not feel morally inclined to help people less fortunate than you yeah i yeah it's interesting when you talk about obviously jeff bezos is so far away from everywhere everyone else in terms of his wealth but a lot of people do have more money than they need yeah and we point to billionaires because they have so much more money than they need um but it's yeah it's a running sort of running argument and what you said about taxes um you know taxes isn't asking jeff bezos to give all his money away it's something everyone has to do and he is so far in the position to to give more money to the government through tax um which everyone participates in um but because of that what you were talking about before trickle down economics um that just doesn't happen so i feel like that pushes further forward the argument that he should donate his wealth because mm-hmm. he is unable to keep it mm-hmm. um but yeah it's yeah i wanted yeah i wanted to talk a little bit about um eat the rich <laughs> that's it very hard to think about it um and that kind of slogan floating about on social media um and it's from people rightfully pointing out how um Bezos and other people like him are unethically rich um but it's a kind of conflict of interests when it's being it's mostly being said by people who fall into the top 10 percent of the world's wealth or top five percent um which is again not on the same playing field as Bezos um but True change, obviously, would have to, like, wealth redistribution would affect everyone and it would change what you've um, relied upon. Mm-hmm. Um, say you come from a middle-class background. And I'm very much including myself in that. Um, it's always easier said than done. Um, but it is a step forward to acknowledge something morally wrong and spread that message. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But, yeah, the, um, I- the idea of the slogan eat the rich is not implying some kind of mass cull of <laughs> every wealthy person it's mm. arguing for genuine wealth distribution which would solve a yeah. lot of the world's problems yeah. um which go, is yeah just, again not down to the individual shouldn't be down mm. to the individual and it, like, can't, it can't really happen that way um but yeah it's, it's something pushed by a lot of young people mm-hmm. um and i think young people um you know are forced to to see the the bitter face of wealth disparity from the get-go um for example students 
um, lower class students who come from less well-off backgrounds receive higher maintenance loans, but then have to pay more money um, than those who perhaps wouldn't even need one in the first place. Mm. Um, you know, the idea of unpaid internships, which was just something I started thinking about, um, is often required to enter a certain field, but not many people can spend their time not being paid for labour. You know, it's kind of it's kind of thrust on people um, from a young age uh, the way that the structure is built on class. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and that is yeah. the thing that it is built on class, and um, that ties in with the idea that people give that we live in a meritocracy, and you you get what you deserve. Basically, the idea of meritocracy suggests that you. Uh, how hard you work determines yeah. what the reward is, um, which is just yeah. incorrect, as we've already mentioned. Um, yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. And I know it sounds like we've been slagging off Jeff Bezos for the whole segment, but we haven't been yeah. slagging off the idea of billionaires. If you are going to like turn attention to act Jeff Bezos as a human, like, um, mm-hmm. if you compare him to someone like Bill Gates, who yeah. is a billionaire but is doing, is actively involved with social issues and regularly, like, takes a stand Mm -hmm. and uses his platform. Yeah. Should be, like, Mm -hmm. again, he does use a lot of his, a lot of his money to combat social issues. Um, Frankly, it's probably the bare minimum. He could do more. But, like, he's, he's doing something. He's doing the bare minimum, yeah. He He, has the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah, and Um, I'm sure uh, Jeff Bezos has, is involved with, I think he is involved with, like, some uh, charity non-profit organisations as well. But not to the extent that um, Bill Gates is. Even without, even without using his financial resources, the platform that he has can make substantial change. But he, chooses not to yeah definitely through through amazon you know how wide-reaching is that company he could he could do so much Mm. and the cynic in me thinks well how how much of his involvement in non-profit organizations is for appearance reasons um because if he were the richest man in the world and had absolutely no connection to charity um I think that would just, you know, that suits for itself. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. All billionaires can do more. Um, and it's, there's the argument that all people can do more, but it's, it's far easier for billionaires to do more. Yeah, yeah. exactly. For the last segment of the episode, going to answer a couple of uh, questions that we've got so well so the first uh, the first one's from from twin on twitter and she's just asked to speak about how marcus rashford is doing more for hungry children than the government and to be honest twin mate i think you've said most of it in that sentence um that is true marcus rashford is uh, a saint and is doing everything he can even though He's a professional footballer. He's not the prime minister. He's doing everything he can to help um, uh, hungry children, basically end poverty in the UK. Um, he was the one to campaign for the extension of the free meal scheme. Yeah, there's not much more that needs to be said, is there? No. Um, going on to Nish's question. Shout out to Nish. He's been on the podcast before. Um, with the sports one go and listen to it first ever episode of the subs bench he was on go and listen to it now if you haven't um, but, but he's asked what needs to be done for uh, for 2021 exams to make it as fair as possible for new year 11s and year 13s um, and that is just a, a really really tough question yeah. because in, in this kind of situation it's one where I kind of in a way, feel for the government because this is tough. Like, whatever way you look at it, um, the hard decisions going to have to be made and it's difficult to do the right thing here. Um, yeah, I mean, a pandemic is so unpredictable exactly. and destructive that um, there's no real clear solution out. Um, but I think they do have to act because students have been pushed to the wayside a bit. Yeah, um, I... I really don't know where to start because, and I'm genuinely a bit stumped here because the the easy answer is to say that 
Um, they should push exams back a little bit, which they have done, haven't they? Yeah, so push exams back to give students as much teaching time as possible. I feel like mm-hmm. schools need to offer like more potentially more extracurricular teaching. Um, yes. But again, that is not possible with all schools, um, especially state schools, uh, because mm. of how much teachers are paid or like aren't paid because they're not paid enough basically um and because of the resources that they have so in turn i feel that the government needs to put a lot more investment into state school education for these yeah. for this year to ensure that uh th- those two year groups can make up for lost time and it is, yeah. it, that is again it's all easier said than done because this is a, a bit of a nightmare situation if you are in either of those two year groups and it's a bit yeah. of a struggle um, Definitely, and um, so far they're trying to push back exams by a little bit for, I think, year 13s I heard that was for. I actually learned that through TikTok, um, <laughs> which is very informative for news, I feel. Yeah, more informative um, than the UK government. <laughs> um, yeah, that strikes me as um, not being able to make up for six months of no teaching or very minimal teaching. Um, but then I think they've probably considered that and are just trying to come up with a solution that makes linear sense. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Um, my argument would also be yes to um, encourage more teaching outside of, um, mm-hmm. in addition to the, to the teaching that will happen next year. Yeah. But it's pointed out that's hard with a lack of facilities and resources. Mm-hmm. Um, also, exams could be amended. Um, in some way, yeah. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure that um, next year, come exam time, mm-hmm. um, the fact that this cohort also suffered through COVID will be considered. But yeah, I think I. I'm a bit of a shambles this year. So. I'm sure. I'm sure that will be considered. Um, the fact yeah. that this government, had, so this government, those two year groups had to uh, are going into one of the most unprecedented um, examination periods. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm sure grade boundaries will probably reflect that. Yeah, I feel like schools could adopt the, uh, the the safety net, no detriment policy that a lot of universities did, um, which meant that you couldn't really, like, um, you couldn't really, like, uh, basically the, the, the policy was implying that your results would not be impacted by the pandemic, like... Um, as a result of disrupted teaching or like you weren't able to work basically um yeah you could reset the exams or and like the boundaries would be changed it was a combination of a lot of things um mm-hmm. how schools want to do that and approach it and amend that that's up to them individually i think um yeah but so i think while some responsibility does lie with the schools for su- giving support to their own students i believe that the government needs to step in and help out in what is a really tough situation yes definitely um go on to the next question which is for oh, give me one second to find it it's from kelsey on tour who's also been on the podcast before go and listen to that the fifth episode of the backbench where we discussed u.s politics very good episode if i say so myself um we will talk she asked uh do you think trump's comments on the military will hurt him at all in the election um, this is a this is more difficult than I thought because it's I was like yes like um, America well some parts of America are so patriotic so and I'm going to say the word obsessed because it is it's so obsessed with their military and um, the respect that their veterans deserve and um, the people who have fought in the war and a lot of those people make up a large part of Trump's um, voter base and yeah. This is, uh, um, sorry, if you don't know what comments uh, we're referring to here, it's comments that were dug up from 2018, I believe. So he was president at the time. And he said to some of his advisors, um, like, why uh, why should I go and visit those losers? Basically talking about uh, a war memorial cemetery. And he also mm. referred to uh, dead World War One veterans as suckers in another leaked um, conversation. So, obviously, those comments are um, 
not good, to say the least. Um, they're bad for like non-Trump voters to hear. Like that's those are disrespectful to to everyone else, but to Trump supporters who who are often inclined to uh, have that stereotypical approach of being uber patriotic, obsessed with the military, um, like I just mentioned. That's that could be really detrimental to him. But then I thought, yeah. yeah, that could hurt him, and he could lose some of the base himself. But is it gonna really make a difference in the long run because of how yeah. much he's done? Like he's done, he said, and done worse than this, yeah. and so that by the time the election comes, this those statements that I just said could be insignificant compared to. Else um, to other things he said, the p- comments made in the past, his handling of the coronavirus crisis, his handling of the Black Lives Matter, um, the peak of the Black Lives Matter protests in, in June. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, it's, it's tough to answer. I feel like it will hurt him because there are some, prob- there are probably some Trump supporters out there who are like, right, this is the, that is the last straw. I can't vote for this man now. So I feel like it, it will matter to him a little bit. But I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be cause anything like a massive swing to Biden or something like that. No, I I agree. It seems when you first hear it, you think, well, that would obviously impact his campaign and be detrimental because it's such an outrageously disrespectful thing to say yeah. about dead people on the whole, um, as well as um, people who fought in the military for America. Yeah. Um, but um, you're right; it is specifically interesting to um for a republican president to have said when um as you've spoke about um a lot of his following a very pro-military pro-america um (laughs) but you're right trump has become president um stayed president you know all this even before his election um so much was uprooted about how he is a misogynist homophobic, racist, um, his comments have been shocking from anyone, let alone the um, president of the biggest country, not the biggest country, one of the most powerful countries in the world, um, and he has still maintained a large following. So um, I agree that it it, it might affect um, his general support to an extent but I don't think it's going to do anything massive to like move the needle on public perception exactly um, not to yeah um, that brings us to the end of this episode of the backbench thank you so much to Ruby for joining me thank you for having me Sam have you got anything to plug um, yeah my Instagram is said massive thank you to ruby for coming on and thank you to you for listening uh, anyone listening for uh, making it to find the podcast if you've got any um inquiries questions or feedback you can email me at benchpodwithsam uh at gmail.com i almost forgot that bit um or you can uh tweet me at benchpodwithsam on twitter or dm me on there or you can uh dm me on instagram at benchpod um but as i said thank you so much for listening there will be an episode of the subs bench out on tuesday uh be great if you listen to that and while you're here why not listen to some other episodes as well i promise they're all quite good um thank you thank you so much for listening and i'll see you soon